9to5.cc. We're not working. Why should you? Thanks for listening. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Go Plug Yourself podcast. Our guest this week is Ellie Gill. Ellie is a Montreal comedian, independent journalist who just got back from London to do the show. Honestly, we flew in from London just so she could come to the back of Grumpy's and record this podcast. Obviously, that is not true. Listen up. Uh, this episode gets pretty deep into some cultural politics, the rise of the right-wing nationalism, and uh, how narrow-minded assholes are probably ruining the entire world for the rest of us. But, you know, we also talk about sandwiches. But more importantly, uh, what Ellie is on is to plug her upcoming show that is coming out as part of the inaugural uh, Giggle Fest in Montreal. Uh, the show is going to feature an all-Asian, all-star lineup of talented women from Montreal comedy scene, Yumi Blake, Andrina Learmonth, uh, Diana Reyes, Joanna Salvaraja, Miriam Khan, and Kayla DeLeon, of course, hosted by our guest this week, Ellie Gill. This show is coming up on April 23rd. No, wait, that's not true. It's coming up <laughs> April 8th at Lord William Pub at 8 p.m. as part of GiggleFest Montreal. March 23rd, though, Ellie is going to be at Rustic Comedy, hosted, of course, by our friends, uh, Mike Ronsad and Jay Ling. Uh, so obviously, yeah, uh, pay attention to Ellie Gill. She's one of Montreal's up-and-coming comedians. You really do yourself a favor and get out there and support local Montreal comedy. And of course, obviously, come out to the Empress Comedy Show that's happening at Lord William Pub April 8th at 8 p.m. That's the right date, at Lord William Pub. Have a good one, and sit back, relax, enjoy the show. Uh, Chris and Vito is my co-host on this one. Go plug yourself, everybody. Two, one, hit it. Go plug yourself, you plug and mother plugger. Go plug yourself, you plug and mother pluggers. Go plug yourself, you plug and mother pluggers. Go plug yourself, it's time for another Go Plug Yourself podcast. Chris, you did the pre-interview? You did the preamp. You did the preamp. You did the, you did the pre-interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Back, back, back in the green room. Sponsors in the green room. Yeah. Uh, we're back in the studio. No, thank you to Nokia. Nokia. Yeah, the finest of Finnish cell phones. Is Nokia in the news again? Uh, no. Remember when they used to sponsor the Oscars? They in the nineties. They were such a big brand. They, they were mattered, like, man. Yeah. Biggest night of the year. They were right there, front and center. Not yes. anymore. Now it's a Kodak. beige carpet. Was it in a Kodak? Kodak Kodak Theater? No, it's at the Kodak Theater, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They own the theater. Which is weird because I don't think of Kodak very often. Like, in general. Like, what are they doing right this now? Is like a Polaroid theater somewhere? Nah, I have no idea. Either way, Nokia, uh, listen, I feel that if I could find my old Nokia, plug it in, charge it up, put a SIM card in it, it still works. Let's, I think. Uh, let's intro our guests before we get <laughs> further into the weeds. On old cell phone technology. <laughs> Ellie Gill is here. How you doing, Ellie? Hey, doing good. Glad doing. to be here. Yes. Welcome to Go Plug Yourself. Yep. It's episode uh, too many out of season how come? 274. How'd you do that? 274. Wow. 274. Yeah. I checked that out when I was writing the, 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 the intro to this episode. Amanda McQueen was episode 273. So... Uh, Ellie's a stand-up comic. I'm just gonna run right by you. Thanks, <laughs> bud. Uh, Ellie's a stand-up comic in the city, uh, but she's also a, uh, a, a noted journalist. A known journalist. A noted. Noted. Noted journalist. And I was wondering, Ellie, could you tell us who's gonna win the United States election? 
Sorry? Who's going to win the United States election? <laughs> oh. Let's start uh, you out with a real softball. Softball question. <laughs> a white guy. <laughs> uh, a white guy. Well, no, that's he, breaking news here. Coming save, from Grumpy. Save, save bet, I think. Save bet. Yeah. Although, actually, um, well, there's the one Republican nominee who's not Tim a white Scott, guy. Tim Scott. Well, no, but there's also the there's a woman running for in the GOP. No. Nikki Haley. Really? Yeah. Pretty sure oh, she's a white guy. Christ. Fair. Fair. <laughs> okay, yeah. Has all the guy. politics of a white guy. <laughs> yeah. No, Nikki, fair enough. <laughs> Nikki Haley said we're going after all the people who don't like America. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's not oh, like God. paraphrasing or that was a verbatim quote. <laughs> I love U.S. politics because it is talk That's like terrible. that. It's but the, yeah. what do you think is going to happen uh, in terms of, I guess we'll start on the Republican side because U.S. politics has directly influenced Canadian politics yeah, in, that's in a way does. that's kind of getting uncomfortable as a Canadian. Yeah. And I'm wondering how you see it as somebody who's lived in both countries and connections to both countries, what that influence is and is it going to continue? Because we're seeing it around the world, that kind of yeah. hard, not just right wing, but like... Super right wing. Yeah. What's well, nationalism? Really? Nationalism like it's, a, it's the ri- it's the rise of nationalism. Yeah. I think everywhere. Oh. I guess, what's yeah. That? I don't like the rise of nationalism. <laughs> what's that looking like? And is it is Ron DeSantis just a, a a more delicate Donald Trump in the end of the day? Well, so uh, I have a kind of a weird, maybe let down perspective on this, which is that in the pandemic, I I used to read the news all the time. In the pandemic, at a certain point, I realized that I was reading it as a consumer activity, yeah. not which is not how it's intended. The news is intended to inform action, right? Um, so I decided to stop reading the news and start doing things because I was like, I also was preparing a, um, an essay on marginalization and extremism to violence and cults. Mm-hmm. And I found that like a lot of the things they were saying are like hallmarks of being in danger of being recruited into a cult or um, getting into some pretty extremist views were things that I related to. Right. So I was like, oh fuck, like, not only am I just consuming the news as something that makes me feel more and more extreme and like more and more like things are just dire and I'm never going to be able to contribute to having a better society, but I'm doing that instead of acting, whereas I'm supposed to be doing it in a w- proportion where I can actually act. So I decided to stop reading the news for a while and start acting, which was helpful. But I, what it really makes it look like from this, like a slightly farther out perspective in the last couple of months is that American media culture treats entertainment uh, treats politics as entertainment, and they shouldn't because we do have this um, rise of nationalism and like xenophobic uh, far right politics, and like you know, new rise of anti Semitism and transphobia. And like, you know, people like I never thought I'd see the day when loving was in call into question, right? So, like, the, uh, the 1968 1969 Supreme Court decision that made my parents' interracial marriage legal yeah. is now something that in certain states they're thinking of overturning, which is nuts to me. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't like. These aren't small things. No, these are not like it's. We were Chris and I were talking about Peaky Blinders. I know this is like hard, hard, hard turn. No, please, great show. Super, super on point. No, no, no. But but it's there. The the final season deals in like a very kind of like direct way with the rise of fascism, both in the United Kingdom and even like there's like American agents who are like speaking on behalf of Roosevelt to be like we're sussing out how fascism's going in Europe to kind of pick our side and it's like you have that thing of you're like oh this is set in 1934 where we're yeah. on the eve of World War II and you're like oh these are such like obvious almost like comical villains trying to be like fascism's the way to go and now here we are 90 years later and we were like we have learned nothing and we're yeah. like we're, we're maybe we maybe the fascists have gotten 
intelligent enough to not call openly call themselves fascists. Man. You know, maybe like, like yeah. they're not branding themselves the same way, but you're like, but you're right there with the same like xenophobic rise of nationalism, all of that stuff, and you're like, you're the, you're so clearly the villain. And somehow you're still getting a popular opinion. You know, yeah. like, like that, that's, I think, the thing that blows my mind also is you're like, how, how do you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, there's a certain type of human who's like less than me. Yeah. And you're like, I, how did you have that thought? How did you wake up with that thought? It no, it's completely wild. Boggles my mind. I think there's a couple of good lessons from um, the history of that era, one of which is it's important to overreact quickly. Yeah. So when people think, oh, I'll wait until the next thing, like it's like the frog boiling slowly, right? It's, um, and also the people who call fascism what it is soonest and are right tend to be far to the left compared to most people. So like if you look at who was like, okay, we need to stop this happening. We need to like do things that are otherwise not sustainable in society in order to, like, you know. Uh, okay. Also just to like be on my high horse a little bit and hopefully not too much. Um, I think it's really important that instead of, only discussing and talking about sort of t tactics, people also think about a variety of tactics, right? Which is, yeah. you know, it may not be your wheelhouse to uh, go make trouble in the streets. It may not be your wheelhouse to go to protest. It may not be your wheelhouse to call your MP or to get a petition signed, but something is your wheelhouse. Yeah. And whatever it is, we have to start doing it and we have to start doing it in a broad-based, sustainable way um, and start like having groundwork in place, which is not to say that you know we will see fascist, like state fascism in our lifetimes, but it's, uh, it's good practice to know what to do to try and prevent it, right? <laughs> Hopefully. I mean, I think that we get... Uh, like we, I had this conversation with my dad uh, March, March 2020, uh, like after the, after the George, Floyd, uh, George Floyd murder. Essentially, right? My dad very much was just sort of like. It was more Whoa. July then. In May, Floyd? May it was May. I know it was right before my, right after my birthday. Oh yeah, because no, it popped off a second time. Yeah, yeah. In in July, that's when basketball stopped. Yeah, yeah, I'm that's an idiot, it. so I go buy keys. You go by when the when when did the sports strike? Well, when March eleventh was when COVID affected an NBA game. Yes. And the next day, things rapidly start stopped. Wow. Remember in 2020, by the time that Friday came, everything was canceled. God. You want to know? The Nets wrapped up its last shows that night. Everything was canceled. The you want to know day. a fun aside? Fun yeah. aside. We're already all very far aside. But another aside: March this month is the first month that I bought a bus pass since March 2020. Wow! I haven't bought a monthly you know, bus pass in three months. Our listeners are hoping that you would let <laughs> Hot them know. Hot bus pass takes. <laughs> no. But anyway, but, but, but explaining to my dad is I find that there's, just to, to, to circle back yeah. on the actual issue, there's, I think, and I mean, especially even like if you want to like go further into like cultural Canadianness is like a culture of politeness. And like to each their own. And it's not for me to say anything. And it's not for like, it's like when my dad was just sort of like, oh, you know, like the cops are just doing the best they can. And I'm like, hang on, dad. Hang on. Let's talk about the cops for a little bit. And it's like you have to like, you don't need to necessarily get adversarial. But like there are, I think like to Ellie's point, if you're not riding in the streets, you can at least like, you know, you can talk about it in even polite conversation where I think that especially in Canada, You've been grown up to kind of be led to believe to each their own. Well, well, I disagree, but let's move on with dinner or whatever, yeah. you know, and not actually like, let's hash this out. You said a crazy thing. Let's let's yeah. sit down and talk about this. I'm your friend. I'm your family member. I'm your whoever. 
uh, can we have a real discussion right now? It's good to have discussions. I feel like this it's it's really um, been made stark to me just how much the stakes are different for different groups of people. Like yeah. there's a um, there's a girl that I volunteer with who was saying that she and her boyfriend had just broken up, and I was like, oh, why'd you break up? And she was like, he didn't go to the protest yesterday, and it was the protest for the person whose name I should remember but don't, who was murdered. What? Uh, well. Sorry, let's not libel ourselves. <laughs> uh, who died in a Quebec jail when yeah. he should have been released? Yeah. Um, yeah, and this is you know the protest was last month I believe. Yeah. Um, and then she broke up with her boyfriend because he was white, and she was like, "Why didn't you go to the protest?" And he was like, "Well, I think it's more issues for your community and not my community." Um, oh my. And while she was telling me that story, I hadn't gone either, and yeah. I sort of felt like, "Fuck, how can I even agree with her when I'm in the exact same position?" Yeah. I wouldn't put it that way. Yeah. But I, you know. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't want to. Sorry. There's a, there's a, there is a medium. We talked about a happy medium before, and there is a, there is a midpoint between the doucheness of that guy passing it off as a community responsibility. And you know, we all have day to day lives that we can't go. To I mean, I'm also I'm also willing protest. to bet. I don't want I, I don't want to I don't want to pry into this stranger's affairs. But like, I'm sure there's a conversation that happened, and then he like like it wasn't a like oh I didn't go because you know what I have other issues and all that stuff. I'm I feel like he was probably asked to go and chose not to, which is like a very different like it's a very different standpoint from where Ellie was saying is like you know I didn't I go to the protest. No, you should feel bad. You make a good point. No, but you know I, what I mean. It's it's you can't. I think that that's a probably the this is like probably the thing that I think everybody struggles with the most, right? Is that there are like so many issues and yeah. so many causes and so many like it is easy to feel like fatigue. But I think that like fundamentally, especially if you're dating someone from an affected community, yeah. well, there's a little bit of extra onus that is maybe on you that is like because not all, not everybody can be a career activist, right? Yeah. Like, like you can't, you can't care about everything. Nor, not to say should you, but like I don't think it's mentally healthy to care about everything. Yeah. You know, like in, in addition to not probably being possible, you're gonna drive yourself crazy if you're like I need to care about every issue. Absolutely, you can feel empathy for every issue, but like you can't take every cause kind of onto your, onto your own personal plate. You know what I mean? Like making other, I don't know. I, mean, I don't mean to cut you off, Ellie, but making. Any cause your trauma becomes a dangerous slope for yourself personally. Yeah. As simple as somebody like feeling bad about having a birthday party because somebody, one of their friends' mom is sick. You know, right? Like we're we're at that age now in our thirties where we're really we're taking care of our parents. We're we're doing other things, and it's like I feel bad like having a birthday party because my friend's mom is is dying. Well, it's like it's really unfortunate, right? Like I, yeah. have, I have a friend who's saying that to me, but it's like it's some, that's unfortunate. But you have to also live your life. You have your own trauma and grief and stuff to deal with on your own self. That you deserve a, a night to celebrate yourself and not feel guilty yeah. about it, type thing. It's tricky. Yeah. I think. And I think there's a correlation between that and activism, which which makes you feel the way you do. Right? You were saying. I just think the sustainability is important, and uh, like uh, as as what you're saying about choosing your priorities and and the issues that really matter to you. I think it can be nice to. You know, say like, okay, I'm gonna do what I can about this particular thing, and uh, and then I'll learn more about it. And um, but also, I mean, I think, yeah, I was gonna say like, I think even like the bare minimum, like we just like, um, I live in St. Henry area. Like yeah. the bare minimum is at least like make an informed vote. Like if we're talking about like, yeah. like the, the the absolute lowest bar possible is being like, hey, do you know do you know the values of the person you're voting for? Like, yeah. you know, like we're not necessarily saying. 
everything you need to do it all. I, yeah. I do want to say a, a, my anarchist piece about voting, though, which is as much as it's a very, very important tactic and everyone should be doing it, yeah. um, convincing people that their top political actions are, are voting and maybe uh, donating is like one of the best things corrupt people could ever have us do. Yeah. You know, most yeah. of your political power is not in voting. Most of it is in things that most people don't find the time or have the energy to do, partly because yeah, of the way the world that. works. Because um, then the phrase, it doesn't matter who you vote for, just vote, where which becomes a very popular thing around election season, yeah. no matter the country. And it's like, I think it very much matters who you vote for. Yeah. Especially uh, though, but like also, in your yeah, vote. <laughs> I wish in the US we had more voting options. That's yeah, one exactly. Of the that's that's that what I'm saying. Is like I feel we're not to say that we've, you know, we've like literally. We have an illusion of options. Canada, yeah, exactly. We, really we, we've only actually had two parties ever in charge at the federal level. But yeah. at the same time, like how many people in America are voting historically? You yeah. Know what, you know what I mean? Where it's like, well, I was raised a Republican. Something. You're like, you know that you're voting. It's not a religion or like a birthright yeah. or you know, like a, it's you, you can do whatever you want at the poll but like well i was raised a republican so i'm voting republican and you're like what, what does that even mean i mean even democrats do that though yeah okay but i'm saying i said republican but i'm saying regardless cultural identification yeah exactly how, that's how you got joe biden right instead of bernie sanders or, or somebody maybe yeah, a bit more progressive who's in touch with Maybe our values as young, left-leaning millennials type thing. This but is one of the things I don't... Oh, Mr. Carter, okay, cutting off, sorry, I'm no, cutting no. off. Um, this is one of the things I don't quite understand about Canadian politics and history versus American politics and history is um, Democrats in the U.S. are often trying to compromise with Republicans, yeah. whereas Republicans are a coalition... Some of whom are fucking out of control, to be honest. I mean, they're yeah. like very they're, evangelical they're, they're, they're Christians. Characters, yeah. yeah, and it's like well, I don't know why you would feel compelled to compromise with people on that. Whereas I feel in in Canada, the Liberal Party doesn't particularly compromise with the Conservatives, as far as I've ever heard. No. And they have kind of more broad-based, uh, imaginative, like social I bet, democratic. I but uh, there's also kind of I think the the slight switch I would say of like. By and large, at least for the last like thirty or forty years, like well, basically since since Pierre Elliott Trudeau, like the Liberal Party has been like the incumbent party, other than like flashes of conservative. And I think that the liberal identity is like a much more Canadian identity, and the conservative party ends up being like obviously like the loudest minority. But the liberals still know that like ultimately most Canadians are still voting left leaning, so they're not in like they're not enticed to compromise hmm. whereas I think with the Democrats they know and like we see it every election like it's really down the middle 50-50 in terms of who your population is yeah. so that's why they're like like chiseling away little bits of power with the compromise because they're trying to grab any amount of that like right wing vote that yeah. they can whereas I think the liberals at, it's, it's diminishing but like the liberals understand that even when we had the conservative government of Stephen Harper he was gaming the first past the post system he wasn't actually speaking to the majority of canadians right it was like 30 percent of canadians voted in a conservative majority government so like the liberals knew that they didn't necessarily need to like change their tactics this was a a riding system issue not a popular opinion issue you know what i mean so he gets long-winded sometimes about these things and the podcast totally becomes like me and the guest listening to keith talk i'm sorry <laughs> uh, i was talking I have, to ellie come here and be the bad guy oh, and no. point out that he's getting long-winded <laughs> again 
and it's becoming like a TED Talk. Sarah's nodding. So we're going to shift gears. I did ask about it, but, you know, we could talk about that for a long time, Sarah. Ellie, tell us hatred. about how you go from <laughs> journalism into comedy. Oh, so, <laughs> I, yeah, I really, <laughs> my Not career, that we couldn't talk about this for the next three hours. No, nah, I'd love to at some point. Um, <laughs> no, my career is, is, uh, is fucked up in a great way. I, I really feel flattered that you call me a journalist because what it actually was is uh, I went to English Lit and Philosophy School to be a fiction writer, um, and then I ended up, because I couldn't pull thing, I couldn't pull, pull enough of a job together in my early 20s. I worked in PR um, on a research team and then leading the research team for about five years. And then I got COVID before I got vaccinated um, from my roommate, unfortunately. It happens. Um, and I was really fucking sick. So I was a, a little, I mean, it's going to sound weak, but a little afraid of dying. I was like, okay, I'm whatever, 30 years old, and this is it for me. And all I'm going to do is have this like unpublished work and these you know, things I love to do and don't find time for. I don't want to keep doing it, so I quit my job. And in the meantime, I had learned to freelance from Twitter, basically, um, and started pitching. And I had some savings behind me, so I could do this for a little while. Um, started pitching stories. My, at first, my rejection rate was pretty bad, but it's gotten a lot better. Um, <laughs> so I can like land stories a reasonable amount of the time. But I, I never went to journalism school, so I don't have training. I'm just kind of a catch-as-catch-can, reading what about it. new media, then. Yeah, but, but I think that, 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 that that's becoming like more and more the norm I think particularly in like the online space of like the idea of going to journalism school to become a journalist or whatever is great and like hats off to the people who do it but then ultimately the job is going to go to the person who can do it whether regardless of the background right yeah like, from what I've heard J school can be really important especially for certain kinds of stories and certain kinds of reporting which I'm a little bit less likely to be doing I think like I'm not like a daily beat reporter type of journalist um but also, unfortunately, I've heard that some journalism programs g give people the impression that you have to be willing to be uh, really exploited in the workplace and you really have to go like trial by uh, fire in order to be a working journalist. And I think it, it pushes a lot of people who maybe aren't well suited to that out of the profession. Um, but then for stand-up, um, I did my first couple sets for Funzos in my early 20s at the, um, uh, at the at Burritoville. Okay. Um, oh, when it just switched over from uh, Morgan to uh, like like Sean and Scott. Yeah, yeah. And those guys were great, and I loved seeing their sets. And it was really Sean who kept me kind of in the orbit of stand-up because I would want to see his shows from time to time. And then um, the only couple of times I'd, I'd done sets sort of since those first couple ones, maybe in 2013, um, till about seven months ago, was like Alo Asimov would ask if I wanted to go up. And I didn't see it as something you could do multiple times a week. I just thought, like, oh, if Alo wants me to do five minutes, I'll do that. And I'm sure it was terrible. Um, <laughs> the best show I remember doing that interim period was with Amanda McQueen okay. and, um, and Emery Fine. And it was at um, Montreal Improv before it moved. It was super fun. But that was probably six years ago. Maybe longer now. So you've always been, I guess, like you were saying, like sort Probably of coming, coming and going, yeah. and, and, and and doing a couple sets here and there, and then yeah, yeah. yeah so I so didn't think I could do it. In. But I think I feel now that you're 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 trying to do this a bit more regularly. I can't well, produ producing your first it. show. Yeah. Also, oh, thank you. Yeah. No wrong. Go plug yourself. So you oh. should get the plugs in. Okay, great. You're pr producing uh, the, the Empress, Empress Comedy, Comedy Show. show. Yeah, I'm really excited Fest. about this. Yeah. All Asian Women Showcase. That's right. Yeah. So. Some, I think one of the, I mean, we, we do a lot of these type of shows now in the last couple of years, but I think in Montreal, 
one of the first of its kind. Oh, good. In terms of its I think so. Cool. I'm glad. Uh, I can't imagine. I can't like again having done done the show for this show for like, like 11 plus years with Walter comedy adjacent so on and so forth. I cannot for the life of me say where there was a like a local show celebrating like all Asian yeah, women it's, it's like nice. it's, it's, cool. it's got to be the first time. Yeah. Oh, thanks guys. What, what was the driving force behind the the show and and, and how did that come together and and how excited are you for April to get it going? Oh man, very excited. So one um, one of the things was I one of the first times was at um, World Smallest actually. Uh, I saw Diana Reyes, and I had known from reading Bills that she was a comic. Um, and I went and said hi to her. And the same week, I had met Kayla. And I thought, like, fuck, I'm sure we have, like, a lot to talk about, the three of us. And sure? But I'm not sure if we all even know each other. And so I talked to Diana and was like, hey, I just met I just met this girl, Kayla. She's really fucking funny. Have you ever met her? And she was like, no, I haven't, but I'd love to. And I was like, okay, well, this is the beginning of something. And then I met Andrina as well. And yep. I was like, okay, Andrina and I have probably a lot in common, but also there's some important differences because her mom is uh, Japanese, my mom is Korean. And there's some history there that's like, some pretty testy history. Um, but also, you know, she's from the West Coast, I'm from the East Coast. And like, it's those sorts of things that I... Also, um, there was a time at the at the park show of Zach's when uh, Andrina went up and talked about sh how she can't date the same race of person as her, and I was up after her and, uh, and told jokes about the same topic because we both have like slightly different perspectives on the same issue. Like, right. when I, my first boyfriend was a, a half Asian guy who's uh, half Vietnamese, half white, and people would think I was his little sister when we showed up places together. Oh, no. Yeah, so I just thought like, man, I'd love to see us all be on the same bill together. Um, and it does get under my skin a little bit when people are like, oh, I hate these fucking demographic shows where it's all people who are like talking to the same audience that agrees with them and the audience is friendly and they're not Fuck mainstream them. or whatever. Well, yeah, that's how I felt about it. I was a bit Fuck like, them. you know what, we bit. have things to first, say. First of all, first listen, of all, listen, sir and madam. Sarah and no, my, my initial instinct to anybody who has something to say, fuck them. <laughs> yeah. No, but I'm like, but how, how many years, how many years has, like, the ethnic show been a staple of JFL? It's not the ethnic show anymore. It is the, um, fuck, what do we call it now? I don't know, but but in history, it was the ethnic it's show. It's not the ethnic show. I know, I know it's, it's not, not anymore. Show. They rebranded. I apologize. It's really, it really grinds my gears. It's no longer called the ethnic show. That they rebranded? Because this is a dumb name. What's it called? I don't know. Either, no, either, either way, it's it. been a, the, 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 the showcase formerly known as the Ethnic Show, yeah, the show yeah. has been a like a staple of Just for Laughs like since the eighties. No kidding. Early humor. It yeah, is, it, but it, it's around. it's we live in Canada. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know it's, what I mean? It's, it's a like going a, issue. You're like no one's from right? like unless you're indigenous, you're yeah. not from here. One of the yeah. coolest <laughs> comedy DVDs ever was the original Kings of Comedy, and also Vince Vaughn's Wild West comedy series, cool. which was very heavily de demoed. Yeah. The Kings of Comedy was a specific brand, and yeah. so was Vince Vaughn's. So what's cool. the problem? People only have a problem when it's um, young people, no. women, and like anybody but white women doing something. Yeah, I mean, the other thing... That's, that's, when, the, that's when the old men get really cranky about it. It, it, it got under my skin as well, because it's like, I would see other immigrant... Because like, you know, I'm an immigrant to Canada, and my mom was an immigrant to the U.S., so was her family. Um... Like, they're doing, sometimes there's a bunch of stuff people do, like, well, they'll make fun of their family, or, like, make fun of themselves, or, or use accents, or, like, um, stuff that feels kind of stereotyped, and I feel like part of the presumption of that is that you're talking to a white audience. Right. And I wanted to have, I want to be in a room where it's, like, 
other Asian women, and we're not talking to a white audience. We're talking to an Asian audience, so we can talk about what we want to talk about. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm excited for that. It's April 8th, 8 p.m., uh, Lord William Pub at, for Giggle Fest. Um, and I'm going to be promoting it everywhere I can, because I think it'd be great yeah. to pack a room, but it's a one-off right now. Yeah. Unless it goes especially well. And the other thing is, there's just so few of us, in a way, it doesn't yeah. make sense <laughs> to do more than one show, because you just have repeats, right? Yeah. Like, they're the, the your roster. But, I mean, but ultimately, you can build that roster. Like, I... It's possible. Uh, it's funny. I'm listening to a I'm listening to a podcast series on the history of the Black Panther, like the, the character, oh. the, the Marvel comic book character. And there is uh, a famous. You don't have a kid, do you? I do not have a kid. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> My wife and I do not have children. <laughs> you don't have children that you're able to listen to a podcast about the history of the Black Panther. You know, it's just like it's time on my hands, baby. And uh, there's a, a famous uh, Black comic writer, like known. Uh, what what is the word for it when it's only one name? Mono. Uh, the shared name. Ooh, monographs. Mono. 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 No. Anyway, like like a Zendaya. Anyway, there's a there's a there's a black yeah. comic creator known known Mono whatever the say his name his priest. Thank it's just you. priest. Oh, anyway, nice. uh, and he's gone he's gone on the record a couple times just talking about the fact that he was like it's it's wild that like given the like the the prevalence of say like street art culture that we don't have. A bunch of black artists in comic books. Yeah, that is like wild. he's like he's like he's like you you look at a piece of graffiti and then you look at the pages of a comic book and you're like, hey, this kid could do that, but they don't. And it's like a huge part of it from someone in the industry is that he's like, black kids don't grow up thinking that comic book artist is a job. Like <laughs> he's like they just don't yeah. grow up thinking that that's that's a a possible thing. And obviously that they're working to like tear down those barriers and stuff. Yeah. But to your that's point of. To your point of saying maybe there isn't the biggest roster, well, you yeah. know what? Like if you're, you're if you have, you have the right audience, well, guess what? You don't need to be a white man, white woman, white whatever, standing up and doing comedy. Like there's, I'm sure, a million yeah. funny Asian women. Oh God, I was so lucky. One of the first uh, comedy albums I ever heard was Margaret Cho's first album mm. in the car with my friend in high school and his mom, and we got to the part where she was like, uh, "This guy in prison wrote me a letter that said he." Uh, that uh, he wants me to jack him off with my big fat arms, and like I just looked at the mom, and we were like, "Oh no!" <laughs> it was, but it was great, you know. Um, yeah. But you know, you think about the—I don't want to say the rise of Asian entertainers in America, but uh, since the last couple of years, yeah. Uh, what was the Asian movie? Parasite. Not Parasite. It was a blockbuster. Crazy Rich Asians. Crazy Rich oh Asians was a very much a popcorn. Yeah. Um, it was a go, go. It wasn't. It didn't have to be Parasite to be accepted. It didn't have to be. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it didn't have to be an Academy Award. Yeah. It was. It was. It was, it was a popcorn movie. It was a popcorn comedy. People. Yeah. People un- misunderstood and called everything wokeness. But when you actually peel back onions and layers, and you see what the people are talking about, it was the first popcorn film with a predominantly Asian cast that we ever had. Cool. And a lot of people became bigger names in comedy because of that movie. Ronnie Chang went up. Yeah. Um, but there's the whole cast. Uh, Wakafina, but you know, she's also had some other issues. Yeah. But uh, the movie itself, the vehicle itself, has driven now where you had, like, you know, 50% of the, the Academy Awards and the acting awards went to Asians. That was wild. That was crazy. Yeah, and, great. And, and, it, and it could have been a sweep. 
yeah. if, if certain things fell differently, right? So yeah. And this was a year or two after Parasite also, right? Like, and Parasite like, was two years ago. Yeah. And the big knock about Parasite was none of the actors were nominated for anything, right? Yeah. It was just it was just yeah. the director. Probably because their names are hard to tell apart from each other when you're not No, Korean. and Michelle Yeoh's a big star. Michelle yeah, Yeoh's Michelle always Yeoh's been a big star. star yeah. And, and she's had a late career, uh, you know, blow up. Yeah. But movie file, cinephiles know who Michelle Yeoh was. Yeah. yeah. So I think that also helps with... I think we also. I mean, we also have to. I think acknowledge that the biggest streaming show on Netflix was uh, Squid Game. Yeah. Right? Like, like, like of, of all time. So right? I don't know like, if like most people who aren't Korean know this, but I, I'm trying to get into my heritage a little bit more. I'm learning Korean now because I didn't when I was a kid. Um, but this effect of like Korean media coming across to the West is produced um, on purpose. It's uh, the Hallyu wave, the like Korean media wave of like K-pop, K-drama, that kind of thing. Um, it's funded by the government, and part of the reason that this program started was to pay back um, IMF loans from a um, from an economic crisis in the 90s. Okay. So it's it, it's like deeply entrenched in the history of, of colonization. Sorry, I'm using colonization very broad way here to include <laughs> how the U.S. is like geopolitically, you know, stationed in Korea in order to prevent certain bad things from happening between yeah, Japan yeah, and China yeah, yeah. and having a nice little outpost right where it counts. It's a peninsula. You have these kinds of problems, right? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you don't have Korean culture in the West sort of without that huge funding wave. And then people were like, what's with this country suddenly everywhere? And it's yeah. like, well, you know, on purpose. Like, we're, <laughs> we're doing it to get money. Um, this is, it, it's but, funny. But I think that, like, it's, it's, it's funny <laughs> you should say that, though, because, like, Korea appears to be doing it like effectively. Like as soon as soon as you said that, I thought about like there's been a number of like European countries that have, have done similar things. Specifically, the one that jumped to mind was Germany, where they had a weird government funding uh, system to try to like produce these like blockbusters, and then that's that's what we'll call it—a weird government-funded system. I'm just saying, <laughs> but largely what they ended up funding were like a lot of the films of like Uwe Boll, who was making like trash cinema because there was a weird offsetting thing where Wild. if you produced what would appear to be a blockbuster by say like producing a film that like with, of an existing IP mm -hmm. and it was projected to make him a certain amount of money, wow. there'd be like a kickback to the director. So if you look at the the, the filmography of Uwe Boll. It's very bad movies that are based on video games. And Shit. he, like, released a bunch of them in the last 20 years. So, so I would just say, it seems at least that, you know, if Korea has produced Squid Game and Parasite, they're raising the bar, at least in terms of quality, even if it is a government-funded... It's great that you say that. Yeah. And so my other high horse that I've been on, or uh, a thing that I've been talking to everyone about, is I took... Um, a grant writing course with the with the Quebec Writers Federation. Okay. And I've been trying to tell all these comedians that not only can we get funded, but no one so far is applying for any of these grants in Montreal, as far as I know of, besides um, uh, Abby Stonehouse. Yeah. Okay. And who who did it for work? So yeah. uh, Abby Stonehouse knows how to write write in for grants, and I think uh, it'd be great if if everyone did who has a decent project and we all informed ourselves about it, because the more we can get funded as a scene, the more cool projects are going to be going on. And yeah. one of the nice things about the Canadian system is that it's uh, it's peer evaluation. So the which which applications get through is in part based on what other people in the field think is actually worthwhile as art. I've always said we should be we should have a grant. We should probably reach out. We've ran 274 episodes. We do this. this we We've do got stayed. And then Ellie even yeah. tweets about this sometimes. <laughs> and I feel like it's a personal, personal attack that I'm not doing enough. Oh, no. <laughs> it's true. But I'd be happy to help if I can help you guys just like we get will, the fire started. We'll take so. this offline. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah we'll course. circle back. You bet. Um, 
But I wanted to ask you what Amy told us we should have a grant. Amy was like, how do you not have a grant? I was a lot like, of people have told us this. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we really should get a She's like, you have a, you have a podcast that's been running for a decade. You have longevity. You have a staying power. You have all of this stuff. You just do nothing but put, like, spotlights on the local scene. Why is the government not giving you something? That's exactly the kind of thing it sounds like they would fund. <laughs> you know? What people say, like, yeah. I, I what's been the... As a producer, because it's a different hat that you're wearing yeah, now. Yeah. What's been the first lesson or the biggest lesson you've taken so far? I have taken on this endeavor. Um. Well, I'm lucky in that I'm not. I'm not handling the venue and the ticketing. Yep. Um. So that some of that overhead is being handled by the festival. So that's nice. I was also told if you want to fill a room. You want as much lead time as possible. So at least a month, ideally six weeks. That was really helpful. Raquel told me that. Um, it's not strictly actually the very first one I've ever done. I once put together a show of eight comics for my coworkers, okay. which actually went well. So it was nice to have like a little practice run a little bit. But the other thing is I need to keep reminding myself that I can go bigger. Like it occurred to me an, over the last couple of days that I could write a press release, send it out, and then you know send yeah, a follow-up yeah. by email to actually try to get like media outlets in Montreal besides yourselves who are wonderful um, to try and cover the show. And it's wild that, that it took me you know a month and a half to even think that I maybe should do that. Yeah. And like you know stuff like set design where it's like you know I could in an ideal world hire a set designer to yeah. use the space properly I'm probably going to jankily do it myself because everything in Montreal tends to be pretty DIY and I, that's a great thing about Montreal but also like it's nice to push myself to be like you know sky's the limit in terms of what I can do it's just a matter of what's practical in the next three weeks before the show right yeah of course and, and, and got, but even like what you said is just sort of like pushing yourself when you think about like set design even if you're maybe not in a position to hire a set designer you just had a thought about set design as opposed to being like I don't know put a light on the comic you know what i mean like no but like it, it's if you don't think about those things it, it'll it's not that the show won't go off but you can think about it and maybe you do a little something like like it doesn't necessarily mean you need to extend yourself and go crazy but you're thinking about it thanks i'm actually uh at my shows i'm gonna take away all mic stands i'm gonna hire a stylist you're gonna hire <laughs> a stylist oh i heard styles like harry styles i want a stylist Nice. So bad. That's wild. It happens after every Oscars. <laughs> but it's like I want to know, like, like, like who who dressed Dwayne? Who are you wearing? Who are you? Beautiful. See Grant for, what's Beautiful. Name? Hugh Grant. Yeah. Answering that question with the most disdain. Yeah. A British, suit. The most British. I'm wearing a suit. Get Montreal designers to to sponsor you guys. Oh. Like you can because there are a couple Montreal fashion houses. Call them up and be like, we'll showcase your. Room. I'm no. actually, if, I do have a package with the Montreal Tablecloth Designing Committee of. Uh, 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 we, got <laughs> we got one bone. Fancy table. Oh, one bone. Hit the one bone. Yeah. We're so my lucky phone Montreal, every day. We bone. have great independent producers here. Like I think what Raquel has been doing has been great. I think uh, Troy Stark shows have been great recently. Yeah. Um, like well, the, gonna be, uh, you know, there's the a bunch of cool the stuff going on. That there's always good shows going on. We have a very fun um, comedy scene, English comedy scene. It's a the small pond, but the once queer we get, comedy once scenes get really going, there's too. a lot of people doing different fun things. Aloe's shows are great. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah no, the, whole the whole Giggle Festival seems like a fun time. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on there as well. If we're gonna do a little plug, I'm on Ellie's show, uh, not Ellie's show, uh, Elspeth's show. I was gonna say it's that guy, Chris. Yeah, not an Asian you woman. Can't, you can't make Ellie's show. <laughs> we just discussed the premise. I killed you. You would love me. <laughs> you know, yeah. you said something before about about uh, talking to about you know 
relating to our audience and relating it with the demographic shows and people scoffing at the idea of that. I think the one thing that makes these shows all connect together is the fact that mo it's mostly just about immigrants. And we have yeah. different cultures share the same values. Yeah. And whether you're Asian, whether you're black, whether you're, you're Indian, whether you're Italian, European, I think we all have these things that we kind of think this happens only in our culture. Mm -hmm. But you have these, you get these comedy shows, and it's like, oh, that happens to them too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it becomes this thing where it's like, you know, yeah, actually, we keep all our Tupperware. We don't throw it out. The containers. We have ice cream containers that we put different things Classic in. Classic stuff. Freezer. I thought everyone did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But some people don't. Yeah, no, no it's no, wild. English no. people recycle. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. So weird. But, like, those type, of, those type of cultural kind of tics, I think, is fun. And that's why a lot of those shows work amongst the same demo. Right? Yeah. Young. Like, yeah, yes, yes, but... I would Not also Keith, though. No. <laughs> I'm an old child of Keith wants to go to the nasty show, damn it. Yeah, exactly. Talk no. about piss and bring, shit. Bring me right. white guys talking about their dicks. That's yeah. the comedy oh I want. Oh, God. No. Uh, <laughs> no, but I was just saying, but, like, there's also, like, the, 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 the Tina Fey, like, funny is funny thing, too, where it's, like, a well-crafted joke with a, like, set of punchline and execution, even if I don't necessarily come from the exact same world, I might not resonate as strongly, but it can still be funny. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? And I think that, that that's the other thing, too, is I was like a good comedian. I might miss, say, certain cultural references if I'm not from the shared culture. But I can still have a good time and laugh because they've set up, provided enough context, set up their, their story, hit their punchline, and then I'm like, I'm still laughing, even yeah. if I wasn't necessarily like raised in the identical culture. If yeah. I was... There might be that that other layer of appreciation. I mean, some of the stuff is is intercultural as well. Like uh, I recently did the otaku show. Yeah. And uh, it's a weird fit because you know that's for people who consume Japanese media, and Korean yeah. people have a pretty testy relationship to that sometimes. Fair. Yeah. Um, but you know, like they're aware of maybe a cultural difference between black otakus and white otakus, and right. so am I because yeah. they treat me differently as an Asian, <laughs> right? Right. And like that's something that I'd like to be able to talk about um, or it's it's an example of the sort of thing that comes up once you find a space where you can say okay like let's let's bring this up between us now right yeah I mean I think a lot like um, Sarah and I are going through we're almost I think we're into the final season of Atlanta where it, it's great it's fantastic like it's fantastic Donald Glover it, it's excellent obviously I'm missing certain context having not you know, been raised a, a black person in America, like period. There's a lot of that show where I'm like, I know there's stuff going over my head and it's not resonating the way that it would if I had that experience. That said, he's a brilliant writer telling brilliant stories and I'm still super engaged, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like he's, he's brought me into the world enough that I have the, enough context to still appreciate what's going on, laugh at the jokes, laugh so on and so forth. It's not going to hit me the same way it can't, but it doesn't mean that I'm like, oh, I'm a white guy. I can't watch Atlanta. Well, yeah, there's <laughs> something about that as well that I, I really like, which is um, white people have culture as well. And sometimes because uh, of the way white supremacy works politically, there's this idea that, oh, it, that's not culture. That's just how the world is. Mm. Whereas if you like step into someone else's context for a minute, you might see, oh, you know, like, like for example, I thought it was it would be taken for granted that there'd be chopsticks at, um, at Canadian Tire. 
Right. Because I need to find chopsticks, and you think you'd have them there. Right. And then I, I told my roommate, he was like, they would not, why would you think that? He's yeah. like, you don't think white people have chopsticks at home? And I was like, of course, they all do, don't they? And he was like, not all of them do. Like, some people just don't need Are that. Are you saying there's no chopsticks at Canadian Chinese? I would have thought the same thing. Yeah, well, I, I didn't in, find any. But in BC, pretty I would have thought. I literally would have thought the Canadian chopsticks. Tire down the street of me had... Because they have kick, they have forks. Yeah, I mean, like I would have. It's it's, it's also stuff like t- like you know potato salad. Like I never eat potato salad. Like almost hardly ever in my life have I ever yeah, eaten I love potato, potato salad. salad. <laughs> and like God bless. Like I don't think it's morally wrong. It's a morally neutral thing. But yeah. like there are definitely things about about whiteness and white culture or like some sort of majority culture that that are a culture. And yeah. you know because you don't necessarily get the mirror back enough. Yeah. Like some people just take it for granted, and it's nice to be able to, to talk about that and to see it and to also make choices about what those coalitions are, right? Yeah. Like, I think one of the things about whiteness as a coalition uh, is that, you know, people aren't white. They're from their countries of origin. Like, you're Italian. I'm not sure what your family background was when they came over, but, you know, they, they had a specific it's culture. Um, I'm the, I'm from the absolute very... Like, <laughs> Both, both my, my, my mother is British and my father's German. It's the whitest. Well, yeah. It's the absolute whitest. But those countries, you know, they've been in war with each other a yeah. number of times. Like, like the compromise that was made was we're going to it, it advantage ourselves uh, with, like, unequal laws and things like that yeah. in order to form a class, right? Um, and as soon as you start to unpack those things, then that becomes a more explicit uh, deal that's being made to the exclusion of other people. And I don't think most white people are actually comfortable with that. No. I think it makes them feel like, oh, I don't know, I don't really like this. And it's like, well, good, we can undo it, right? We're now living well, in yeah, it's like It's wild to me, especially when you, like, when you just like, spoke about, you know, just sort of like, like classes and stuff, which is when you had like the rise of union power in North America and just like the, the general rise of like the Labour Party and like socialist ideals in like the UK and stuff where you're like yeah like working class like lower class people have even in white culture been like wait a second we need to treat people better you know like and have had like like very up to violent uprisings repeatedly within even like white culture so like yeah. it's not it's to me it's not a big lo- like a, a big jump to say hey guess what if you were uh, your grandmother or whatever supported the Labour Party in the UK in the 1930s. You probably believe in equal rights for everybody. Yeah. You know what, you know what yeah, I mean? I'm I like, 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 so. like, it's not like, yes, that was not necessarily an issue about race. It was an issue about class because it was a very white country. But those ideals carry forward in time to be like, what were you fighting for, though? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it yeah. was about equal rights for across all classes. Yeah. It's not a big jump to say. It should be about equal rights across all races. Well, right? I mean, like, it makes sense because um, the origin of racism is a is about class and exploitation, right? So you always there's if you if you see some of these stories of first contact between very disparate cultures, they don't take it for granted that someone who's very different is by their nature worse or more childlike or stupider or yeah. exploitable in some way. There's this like really genuine meeting of like, wow, what are we to each other? Um, yeah. That can still happen. And and the fact that we are raised in cultures that teach us something other than that is because it's to the advantage of some people rather than others to say this group of people is this way. And we're starting to you know, and we have with the 
abolish, uh, abolition of certain institutions, decided we're not going to do that anymore, right? Yeah. Um, and we're just trying to unpack the rest of those ideas. But it's it's helpful for me to try and keep in mind, you know, every time you're talking about racism against a group, there is a, a specific historic moment where someone said, oh, we need the railroads built, right? Or, oh, we want, we want certain kinds of exploitable labor. Let's say that those people are this way, and then we'll justify it in the media to, you know, go treat them that way, right? Yeah. But we can just stop. Yeah. <laughs> it would well, be nice. You know, That'd mean, be nice. <laughs> uh, we could have this uh, back and forth with Keith all day. Non-stop. No, nobody likes to do the poli-sci roundup more than Keith. But before we go, <laughs> can, we start, can we plug the Emperor's show again? Yes, absolutely. I got to do it. I can do it. I can do it. April 8th, Emperor's show, Lord William, Lord William Pub. Pub. Tickets available where? Yes. Uh, Eventbrite. 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 So the, the do you want to run through the lineup? Yeah, and sure. And you already mentioned uh, Diana and Kayla. Yeah, so it's uh, Diana Reyes, uh, Kayla Dion, DeLeon, um, Yumi Blake, uh, Joanna Salvaraja, Miriam Khan, uh, and Andrea Lermont. Yeah. And we're we self-hosting. It's going to be great. One of the homies. Our, uh, yeah, exactly. Kayla, so like, Kayla DeLeon, one like of the exactly. homies. Kayla's, uh, Kayla's a Go Plug Yourself Inner Circle the show. member who's Friend been the on the, the shit show. But, but been a guest multiple times, but has also even like... Even snuck her way onto the shit show several times. Yeah, like, uh, So, Ellie, we do this really creative, like, fucking blah, blah, blah. groundbreaking <laughs> bit on the podcast. Yeah. We ask our guests five questions at okay. the end of it. Hit me. So, now, the way it's different, Keith always stresses, is that we ask you three standard questions that we ask everybody. Okay. We ask a fourth question that's from last week's guest, which was blind, and then we ask you to ask us and next week's guest who you don't know yet, a question in the future. Ooh. So question number one is, what is your hottest take? My hottest of the take. moment. Of oh. the moment. You don't of need to go moment. all time. I, I had a really hot, terrible take many years ago, which I was made a fun of for, and I'll use that one, which is, uh, I think, like, like servitude, like in the house servitude should come back. Sure, sure. <laughs> well, right. That's what was the context of that take? <laughs> Hang on. I was reading too much English literature. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the... That, that, that's the whole, like, I, I had a friend of mine who was just sort of like, when that, that moment is like when you're reading like Ayn Rand, and then you're just sort of like, there's some good ideas here, and you're like, oh no! No, it's terrible, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah you oh no. pull you in immediately. <laughs> I need to reel this back in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, hottest uh, take. But do, you have, do you have a, do you have a, a more, a more timely hottest more take? More timely hottest take. <laughs> um... I don't like any media that's very pandery, and I don't want to apologize for it. I think that if you want to be negative about media, that's uh, not necessarily a bad thing, and you can go as hard as you want as long as you have good reasons for it. Mm, I like that. I, I agree. Um, I, I meant to bring this up earlier, but like Sarah and I, unfortunately, when you're talking about like the media, like news as a entertainment and news as like doom scrolling and so on and so forth. We subscribe to a, a sadly now defunct organization called The Correspondent, uh, which their, their entire like uh, mission statement was that like we, we won't run headlines. They were like, like, like there's, no, there's no way to report on the news without like... And they survived and they succeeded? Sadly, they did not. Shocker! But, however, they, when, they, when they looked at it, they were saying that like, they were like, we know we were a niche market. We know we were looking at people's disposable income, and they, they launched, unfortunately, right at the start, like, middle of 2019. So when people started to, like, <laughs> dial back on, on how, and, and they also said, like, for instance, 
headlining and news became really important during COVID-19. Of like Is that a Dutch outfit? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I yeah, remember yeah, yeah. that. Yeah. Either way, but uh, and so they would have, they were like, you know what, if, if an event happens, a bombing or what have you, in the, they're like, we will report on it, but it'll be a few weeks later where we've analyzed the context, we've analyzed the political situation, we've analyzed this, and it's going to be a 10-minute read explaining, it's not just going to be like, bombing here. Yeah. Uh, and nothing, you know, because they were like, that, that's that's not news. That's just events, which you wouldn't, like you said earlier, have nothing, you know, like, yeah, you, don't you have, have no way to, like, link to that or context. You're just like, I'm just reacting to this weird emotion of the headline yeah. and not provided any context. Anyway, so cool. I agree with that fully. I think media's horseshit at its job in general. Like, it's uh, the whole thing. Keep, keep going. Huh? <laughs> no, no, no. Helly and I are just here listening. I'll talk more. Uh, <laughs> who is your star of Sesame Street, Ellie? Oh. You know. So the star. Star. Who are you? Who are you tuning in to watch on Sesame Street? <laughs> this is uh, it Grover. Grover? What? what? Yeah. What? Grover. Grover. Grover? You know Grover. That's right. Grover. Grover. Grover is the guy. Yeah. I get it. I, like I get it. it. Yeah. I, 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 I think he's Grover. Uh, I've always said Elmo. Yeah. And he's always said... Uh, well, I think Big Bird. Like, yeah. Big, Big Bird is the... Okay, my recent hot take is I think Elmo should be abolished. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I wonder. I wonder if there's a correlation between kids doing baby voice and Elmo. I don't know. I've always thought that baby voices... You I shut got your mouth. You shut your mouth right now before you get into this long-winded thesis about Elmo. Okay. I'm not going to have not it. Not a thesis. What's I'm the, not next, question? Elmo's hey, a what's the next question? <laughs> Elmo's a hero. Elmo's <laughs> the, died for us. <laughs> He's just a guy who wants everyone to get along and hug. Oh. <laughs> question number three. What piece of media has been formative in your... In your what piece of media could be a book, an article, a movie... Oh, an album, album, song. Okay, this has is... been the most formative in your life. The well, most yeah. formative. Yeah, well, like, like something that... Like, or an example of something that's been very formative. Like the, 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 where we're trying to go, and I'm, and I'm vamping here while you think about no, it. No, please, so like, yeah. Like, uh, is like it's kind of like when you're like I watched this I listened to this I read this yeah. and it like actively like changed my perception of, yeah. uh, on a on either on a subject on a way of life on a whatever you're like oh this you can do it this way let's go like that's yeah. the that's um, the idea I think it'd be Christopher Isherwood's Berlin, Berlin novels I didn't know that they were sometimes separated from each other I had a, an edition that brought them all together and uh the thing about it that was it's a slightly different approach to what a novel can be okay and um, it's more like, like the thing about Ishwar is he just loves people he loves to talk about people he loves to think about people he's very charming about it and um, and the narrator in that book is closeted but if you look at what's happening around him you can tell that he must be gay to be in those rooms with those people. Right, um, okay. Yeah. And the thing that really struck me about it was Isherwood, in his own time, decided to go live in Berlin and be out. You know, he was, like, he lived at that institute um, for uh, gender, what we now call gender queer people, um, that, you know, whose books were burned by Nazis. Um, so, you know, 
what was really meaningful me, to me about that at that time was just you can make a choice about who you're going to be and how you're going to live your life and you can tell people like if you don't like it fuck you right and and you know it, it changes how you go about in the world like he had to live in different places he had to associate with different people he was vilified in the press he had to work with other presses and his books weren't as widely read or as widely published as they should have been given their literary merit until recently right um, but he had an integrity with himself and that counted for so much. You can see it in his work, like how, how much joy and love there is in his life. And it was like incredibly inspiring to me to just be exposed to that at that time. Yeah, I, I, this is going to sound like the stupidest thing in the world. Uh, but it's just like, it's when you, when you look at certain things that were written in, under like certain like political, cultural circumstances, and then you like, you try your best to be like, wait a second, like they wrote this when? Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. and you have like, like you're like trying to like, you're like, this is, th you're like, this is groundbreaking now to read this, and then you realize they were written 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 Isn't years that ago, exciting? and you're like, it, it just, I have those moments like all the time where you're like, this was written in 1940 or whatever, you know, yeah, and you're like, this it's was 80 fight. years ago. It's the same fight. We just keep having it, but it means that if you hold your ground, you're yeah. part of this history that's been going on for so long. It's, I don't know, I really like it. That's super fun. Uh, number uh, four. Question number four uh, is from Amanda McQueen. Oh, um, cool. Asked two questions. One, what is your ideal sandwich? Oh. Amanda, <laughs> Amanda McQueen uh, was on plugging her album, uh, A Hot Dog in Every Pocket. Yeah, great And album. we had a brief conversation as to whether or not a hot dog was a sandwich. All oh, right. It's well, what is borderline. it? It's a hot dog. Is a burger not a sandwich? It's a burger. A burger's not a sandwich? No. I think a burger's a sandwich, sir. Okay. I think a hot dog is a sandwich. You, you, you also wear a tie-dye sweatshirt that could have been given to you from, like, somebody at a corner store. I don't know. <laughs> I feel that if you have a, the, the substance, again, while you're is thinking of it. Is McMuffin a sandwich? Yes. Oh, uh, no, I think I got my answer for this No, one. it's a breakfast um, sandwich. There's wow. There's a sandwich that I love that it's named after two of my good friends from high school who are brothers, the Dorfman sandwich, and it's um, sourdough, toasted sourdough, uh, thinly sliced cheddar, um, mashed avocado, uh, thinly sliced red onion. Where can you get and this lettuce. sandwich? You have to, and tomato. I think you have to make it at home. I've never had it anywhere else, but it's huh. really good. And it's like just reliable. It sits really well in the stomach. It's like nutritious. It's vegetarian if that's your vibe, which Man. I'm not, but it's a good sandwich. It's a good thing. Yeah. So question for you guys. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Okay. She had a second second question. We departed. Um, what tattoo would you like me, Keith, to give you? I'm not a very good artist. Oh, so it has to be something that can be done badly? It, it, pardon me? It has to be something that can be done, like, badly? Well, no, no. I, I'm just telling you that information. Oh. You can say, like, do the Mona Lisa. <laughs> I, I'm just telling you I'm not a very good artist. And I've also never tattooed anyone. I have no tattoos, and there's only one tattoo I've ever wanted, which I may get eventually. And it's of a pomegranate. Okay. Um, so but I, I don't think you'd want me to draw a pomegranate. I think you could get by. They're not that <laughs> difficult. You know, it's pretty simple. Fair. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, now, yes, question to the okay. future guest without knowing who question it is. Question to you guys in the future guest. What, what's your favorite children's book? What's your favorite children's book? Ooh, that's... What, what is, what, what's your definition as of a child, I I'd guess? I'd say chapter books is like, like not chapter books. Like children's books you'd read to like a kid who's going to okay. bed. Okay, so like so even if you well. like... Because like immediately a lot of my brain went to chapters books. Mm -hmm. But we're saying like a book you'd read to a child. Yeah. Your favorite. 
Huh? I got Charlotte's Web. It's good. That's a chapter book, but it's still it's still a good one. Am I not allowed picking a chapter book? It was read to me when I was a kid. Well, if we're gonna go like what's read to me, like my mom, I will. I mean, I had old Italian problems about like nuns and watering holes. Oh, that's great. <laughs> like the Decameron? Did someone read? No, the they would like <laughs> they, they would gamble saucy. and they would go fill up their water during the day, and they would talk about. The I will. I will say that my my mother. Wow. Uh, stuffy old British lady that she was, o- oldest of six children, raised by a uh, family who were both th- Canadian and British military, mother and father, so on and so forth. Literally, like when people say like, oh, like the kids' books you read to a kid. Like my mom exclusively read like they were children's books, but like exclusively read chapter books to me. Like I was like like. His mom showed him the apocalypse now at eight years old. <laughs> no, no, no. But but they were like 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 like, Char- like Charlotte's Web or whatever. Like yeah. I I really until I could read on my own, I don't really have any memories of like say like stuff like Berenstein Bears. Even uh like what do you call it? like I like where the wild things are. That was not read to me. I was already like reading that to myself. Oh, wow. So like. Did you get her? My mom. The one I will rem- that the one that sticks out as a book that my mom read to me and I was like, it's the most British thing, uh, is literally like Wind in the Willows. Like she read, I remember back to back, we were alternating Wind in the Willows and Black Beauty and I preferred Wind in the Willows. And Wind in the Willows is like crazy because again, also if you get into weird weird class divide issues with like Mr. Toad being a crazy rich person. And so, it's like, like I've, I've gone back okay. to be like, I, I, re- I remember having the like, the, uh, I guess like the moment of like, a couple years ago, I had to Google, like, is Wind in the Willows racist? <laughs> right? Because I was like, it's so, it's so very British. It's from a time when it might be. And, just and, and, like, and there's also, like, I was like, oh, man, as soon as you have, like, a weird rich character and, uh, and an underclass character, I was ready for it to have been racist. But then I found a bunch of essays cool. that they I weren't. A, I have a question for you about this. How big do you think a mole is in real life? How big do you think a mole is in real life? Yeah. I put this question to you as well. How big do you think a mole? I would say half the size of a groundhog. Oh, that's an interesting compromise. Okay. Half the size of what? Half the size of a groundhog. A groundhog's like the size of like like this big, and I would say a mole's like this big. Small cat. Small cat. Zelda size, yeah. Vendito, how big do you think a mole is in real life? Zelda size. Zelda size. I think Zelda is smaller than Zelda. I think. The only mole that I know of, a star-nosed mole, is is about as big as a large mouse. Really? And I'm wondering, and I've never had this resolved for me, whether all moles are the same size or whether we all just imagine moles to be vastly different sizes that they're not. Anyways, neither here nor there. In Wind in the Willows, he's the same height as a frog, for whatever that's worth. That's but then, but then they also it. hang out with the badger, and the badger isn't much bigger than them. Ah, Either way, sketchy. I was very happy to find out that Wind of the Willows was not racist, and was actually there's like, like let's not call it progressive. I don't want to give it too much, <laughs> too much credit, but was like certainly had all of the, I guess like, like ingredients of something. You're like, oh, it's a children's book, British class stuff and I was like oh no the animals are going to be allegories for a race or something like I was like so ready to like dive into my childhood and be horrified and the author was like nope it's just a, a kids book and uh, here it is that's so, right winning well, the thank willows you for me on, guys. thank you uh, Ellie Gill my pleasure coming Ellie's on. also going to be on Rustic I looked this up I am I'm going to be on Next Rustic week. on the 23rd Next week, Rustic yeah Mike, uh, Mikey Mikey and Wally's show yeah at Rustic Chris, what are you doing? bar in NDG 
Uh, I'm in. Uh, I'm at Hurley's March 25th, of course. Uh, North Hatley March 26th. We're in Kanawaki on April 1st. Knights of Columbus. Uh, you can go to my website for more information. Uh, Keith, always a pleasure. Always. Uh, Ellie, Ellie, last thoughts? Anything you want to throw in that we haven't discussed? No, thanks, guys. We talked politics. We talked books. We talked comedy. I think we're okay. Everything. Let's go plug yourself. Thank you, Ellie. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, Ellie. Thanks, guys. Hey there, loyal listener who listens to the show all the way past the closing credits. Um... Thank you for listening to Go Plug Yourself. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, if you enjoy the show, I cannot stress this enough. Please tell people about it. We don't really have a budget for marketing or fancy Facebook ads or putting up billboards on the street. Uh, we really have to rely on word of mouth, which uh, basically means that if you listen to the show and you enjoy the show, please uh, share it, link it, uh, tell your friends about it. Say, hey, there's this show called Go Plug Yourself. They talk to Montrealers or people that have stuff going on in Montreal or uh, just people that have stuff to uh, promote that we kind of care about. We can we can go outside of Montreal if we want to. Um, yeah, so just tell tell people about the show. It's a, it's a fun show. We, we like doing it a lot. We've done it for over 200 episodes and uh, it's in large part thanks to support from uh, people like you. Um, if you want to support the show at all you can go to uh, patreon.com slash nine to five cc and uh, throw a couple bucks our way it really helps with uh, the hosting fees for the most part we're really not trying to make a profit on this um, and also if you want to be a guest on the show or you know someone who might uh, want to be a guest on the show you can uh, contact us either on facebook or on twitter there's a bunch of ways to find us uh, and uh, and let us know and if the scheduling and the timing and everything works out maybe you can be the next person who uh, comes on the show and uh, plugs something a uh, big thank you as always to Leland Beckman and Oral Turpitude who provided our theme songs and of course a thank you to uh, all of the hosts that we have on the show uh, Walter J. Ling who is technically retired but still sometimes hosts uh, Christopher Vendito, Lawrence Korber and uh, Ines Anaya uh, all, are all amazing co-hosts and you should support them and their comedy and uh, and all of that. Uh, thank you for listening thank you for choosing Go Plug Yourself uh, as one of your from the millions of podcasts and have a beautiful day Thank you. 905.cc, podcasts, blogs, and comics. Made in Montreal since 2011.